You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Hey, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Banner Church. I wanted to just give you a little window into uh, young Pastor Josh this morning as we start our service and share with you the story of the first time I ever gave a comeback. Uh, if you don't know what a comeback is, it's like, you know, when someone says to you something to you and you respond, it's quick-witted. In my life, uh, I've kind of learned to be quick-witted and to be fast. It was hard when I was younger because I was short and small, and so I had to be fast with my mouth and also with my feet so I didn't get beat up. But, but uh, I didn't start with such a quick wit, if I, if I can be really honest. I didn't start... Uh, knowing like how to come back and how to have that quickness and I'm gonna give you an example and and, and uh, you're gonna understand when I tell you why uh, when I was in elementary school we had a long hallway uh, in my school and there was a drinking fountain and so all the kids lined up to get to the drinking fountain and there was this one girl that came walking out of class and walking towards me and my buddies to get to the drinking fountain and when she gets up there she asks if she can have a drink and all of these you know boys are lined up you know, behind her and all these things. And I say, sure, you know, go ahead and, and cut on in because I was a nice kid. And I was like, yeah, have a drink. But when you are in elementary school, let me tell you, there is nothing more serious than no cuts, no butts, no coconuts. You cannot cut in line. And so my buddies start giving me a hard time. They're like, Josh and this girl that I can't remember her name, you know, are sitting in a tree, K-S-S-I-N-G, and, and all of these things, right? So I'm like getting annoyed. I'm like, guys, stop it, right? Because when you're in elementary school, cooties are like the worst, right? And so I'm like, guys, no, I'm not into her. So I'm thinking in my brain, I got I to gotta prove to my guys that like I'm tough. Like, I, yeah, I let this girl cut, but like she doesn't, she doesn't run me. Like, I, you know, I, I'm not into her. I don't want to sit in a tree, K-A-S-S-I-N-G. And so I thought in my brain, I thought, okay, when she's done, I'm going to hit her with, with a comeback, with an insult. But young Josh did not have what I would consider good material uh, for insults or comebacks. And so as she turns and she's walking away down the hallway, she says, thank you. And I, I'm like, got my moment. I'm going to prove to my guys that I'm tough. And I say, yeah, you're welcome, cupcake. <laughs> I, need, I need to tell you this moment because there was total silence followed by that kind of laughter that, you know, when there's silence and then one person breaks it with a like, right? And in that moment, my friends are like leaning, they're like laying on each other and on the walls like, oh my God, oh my God. They're like pushing each other. They're, they're laughing so hard. They're just, they're into this thing. And so I, I felt dumb because, you know, I thought that was going to be a good, a good comeback. But let me tell you, as an elementary school boy, calling another person a cupcake is not a tough move. Um, in my defense, in my defense, I watched a lot of 80s and 90s action movies with guys like Arnold and John claude Van Damme, and they were like tough, and so they could call people cupcakes and honor, all these things, like words we use now all the time. Uh, but those words sounded differently when I was an elementary school boy talking to some girl. It actually kind of sounded like I was saying something really nice to her. <laughs> uh, and, and in that moment, I remember thinking like, this is not me, right? Like this is not who I am. I am not a tough guy. 
I'm not the kind of person that doesn't care what people think. I'm not the kind of person that doesn't care for people's emotions. Like, I, I was an empathetic kid. I cared for people. So of course it was ridiculous for me to try to do some comeback burn about this and try to prove that I was tough. I was not tough. Hardworking, maybe. Tough, no, right? And, and, and so I was doing something that was definitively against who I am. Have you ever just stopped for a second in your life and, and maybe it was an action or something that kind of forced you to stop and maybe it was an attitude, maybe it was something in your life, your, a, a personality or, or something that made you stop and think, is this really who I am? Right, like is this really who I am as a person, the way I'm acting, the way I'm talking, the way I'm living, like, is this really my identity as a person? You know, obviously for me, as an elementary school, you know, kid is a funny example, but in life, I think we do this all the time. We stop and we go, is this really who I am? I think now, more than ever, as a culture, we are wrestling with our identity. We're asking the question, who am I? Who are we? And I think in many ways, culturally, we're struggling to really define ourselves. You know, there's something, as I've been watching this COVID-19 and the crisis that I've noticed is that uh, we are insecure people living in insecure times. And so what's happening is I think it's creating within us a cycle of insecurity that is manifesting in unhealthy ways. See, let me, let me explain the cycle to you. Our identity is not secured as people, right? In the world, we're not sure who we are. We're not sure what we were created to be. And because our identity is not secured, we don't feel personally secured. If I can't feel secure, then I can't feel safe. And so what's happening is in this crisis, what's happening is in this season, at, because the time is so insecure and, and the world as people and our culture is so insecure in our identity that more than ever we're struggling with anxiety, more than ever we're struggling with unrest, more than ever we're struggling with fear and anger, Right all around us, just go online and you're going to see worry sickness. You're going to see depression. You're going to see insomnia. And what happens is we do one of two things when, when we're insecure in our identity. We either compensate with a range of emotions. Maybe for you that's anger. When you get insecure, you get anger, angry. Maybe you just get more charismatic and outgoing. It's like, I'm insecure, but I'm just going to post enough Instagram uh, stories that people think everything's amazing and I know what's going on. Or we go the other way and we medicate. And we medicate with either titles or tastes. We medicate by diving into desires and things we want and things, things we long for, or we medicate with titles that we think will make us feel better. And these aren't bad things, but they are not foundational things. We think, well, if I'm a, if I'm a mother, or if I'm a CEO, or if I was just fit, or if I was a free spirit, or if I had a spouse, or if I was financially secure, then I would be grounded and secure. Then all of this insecurity would be gone. But unfortunately, it makes the problem larger. 
because we're building our identity on temporary things with no root, no core, no foundation. Every great building, in order to build up, in order to last, you have to build on a foundation. But what's happening is the world is increasingly insecure. We, we've know, we know what we've decided to be, but we're still not really sure what we were created to be. Let me give you an example. Just imagine uh, that you go over to your friend's house and you notice they're gonna make you dinner. You notice that they bring out this plate of steaks. You're like, man, that is awesome. I'm all about this plate of steaks. And they take the plate of steaks, or if you're you know, a vegetarian, um, beans or something, and uh, <laughs> they, they place the plate of steaks or beans on the table, and when they do that, you notice that their table is shaking. You notice that it's wobbly. You notice that the legs are about to give out. And so what our response, just imagine for a second, is once you see that shaking, you think, well, I'm a good friend. You know what is gonna make this better is just more food, right? I don't wanna judge my friend for their shaky table. So what, what I think we should do is I think we should just keep making more good things and pile more good things on the table. And if we get enough good things, on the table, we will have everything we could possibly need, and it won't matter how shaky the table is, it's gonna secure it. And so, you're a compassionate friend, and I'm a compassionate friend, so we go in the kitchen, and we start cooking, and we cook, 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 as much food as we can, and we're bringing out plates, we're bringing out green beans, we're bringing out desserts, we're bringing out, you know, rolls, we're bringing out potatoes, and we pile it, and we pile it, and we pile it, and for those of you that are like really artsy, and you got your Pinterest going, and you, you found like really cool special candles, and you got the candles all set up, and you got the silverware, and more and more and more stuff, right? Because, yeah, the table's shaky, but if we put enough good things on it, certainly it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome and we'll see all these great things. We just want to explore everything possible. I don't want to judge them for the table. I just want to keep giving them everything they need. And eventually what happens? Eventually the table breaks. Eventually it collapses. And culturally we do this. The table breaks and we look at this broken table we look at it lying there, we look at its pieces, and we go, I can't believe that it broke. It had everything, right? We say, I can't believe that this table broke. It had everything it could possibly ever need. This is so often how we think in the world. If I just, if I make myself feel good by just throwing enough things on a non-secured foundation, everything will be fine, but the hard part is it will eventually collapse and take everything with it, every good thing, all the potatoes, all the steak onto the floor, all your children, all your friends, all your job, all your opportunity onto the floor, and you'll say, God, well, why, why did this break apart? We just wonder, how could all this happen? But the hard part is, it's because we built on something that was not secure to sustain and uphold what were good things but became broken things because there was no foundation if we want to really live life to the fullest we must live a secured life secured in a real and true identity if we want to live life to the fullest with our family if we want to live life to the fullest uh, in just in our own personhood then we have to secure who we are really created to be 
What is your identity? All that stuff to add on is great, but who were you created to be? I'm going to look at that together, and we're going to read Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. See, we are are children of God. When we are secured as children of God, as, as our identity, we will experience more freedom, we will experience deeper love, we will endure hardship in the, in the face of trial with peace and with joy, and we will receive an internal inheritance. That is what God is talking about in His Word and what Paul is teaching. And he uses two major terms that you might have noticed show up in that scripture a lot. He's using the term the flesh and the spirit. And these represent within us and within creation kind of two uh, separate regimes in a sense. The old regime where sin and death reigned, that's the flesh. The new regime where righteousness and grace reign, that's the spirit. And so Paul is trying to teach us in that scripture something uh, specific. He's trying to teach us what Christ has taken us from and what he is giving to us instead. So it, there, there's an exchange that's happening here in the scripture, right? There, there was sin, now there's salvation. There was flesh, now there is spirit. There was death, now there is life. There was slavery, now there's sonship. There was being an enemy to God, and now there's being a child of God. He's trying to establish that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been given a greater and more secured identity. Let, let's, let's look a little bit at what Scripture is telling us about identity. It says in that verse 12, we are no longer debtors to flesh. What does that mean? It means there is no condemnation in Christ. That's really important. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If we go back to the beginning of Romans 8 uh, and read that together, the very first line is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In fact, if you have your Bible, or if you just go to the Bible tab uh, in our live stream, you'll see this. Romans 8, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came to condemn sin in the flesh. Jesus came that we might 
have, have freedom from sin and death. And so he paid the price in the flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. That's why Paul can say there is no condemnation in Jesus. If we go all the way back to the beginning of time, there, there's a problem because there's sin. See, Adam and Eve, when they sin in the garden, they, they bring in a sin nature, and sin nature says, I am God. I, I will be God. I am fully submitted to myself as God and all the desires of my flesh. And so they produced within mankind a sin nature that, that everyone is born with, and every generation since then has been born with. It puts us in opposition to a totally holy God. But we're freed from that sin from that condemnation because we are in union with Christ. See, we were in union with the flesh, but through Christ, we are now in union with Him. It's not that we're floating in nothingness, it's that through Christ, we go from being in union with death in the flesh to being in union with Christ. Christ did what the law couldn't do. See, when Jesus went to the cross, He took all of your sin, all of your shame forever. Why would he do that? Romans 5, 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know in your life if, if you feel condemned. If you're sitting at home and maybe you've feel under condemnation, if you feel like or you've been told that, that Christ is condemning you or you went to a church and told you that God is condemning you uh, because God is, it is a God of judgment, that somehow means condemnation for you or maybe because your mistakes in the past, you think that that means condemnation for you. But listen, Jesus through his blood covers us so that the judgment that should be ours, the, the wrath that should come against us, instead we're covered by the blood of Jesus so there is no condemnation through Christ Jesus. See, this is what's amazing is we think that we have written with permanent ink the mistakes of our life on the pages of our future, but the reality is that the blood of Jesus comes in and it wipes and washes away all of those mistakes, all of the failures, all of the sin, all of the shame, and restores us into the life and identity we were created to have. See, you might feel like a failure. I talk to people all the time, they feel like a failure, failure as a parent, failure as a, a dad or a mom, a failure as a friend, a failure as a son, a failure as a spouse, but that is not how Jesus sees you. Jesus does not see you as a failure. Jesus sees you as a child of God. There is no condemnation through Christ Jesus. We are children of God bought and paid for by Christ. But the work of the Spirit to free us from this sin and death doesn't then mean that we're passive in the way that we live. Right? Verse 12 said that the, the word debtor there, it said that, that we're no longer debtors to the flesh. The word debtor really means obligated person. It means you no longer have an obligation to the flesh. What Paul is saying is given everything that Jesus has done, you are not indebted to the flesh. But there is an obligation in the spirit to live differently. There is a response as children of God to live differently to the hope that we have received. Verse 13 says, flesh leads to death. 
but putting to death the flesh by the spirit leads to life. Two things are happening here. And, and there's this kind of dual tension. The indwelling of the spirit as a result of faith in Christ secures eternal life. The other side is also a lifestyle pattern after God's spirit is necessary to inherit eternal life. See, not only do we see the, 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 this call and this new life, but we're told that the new life requires dying daily to our old flesh. See, we as children of God, we've received a gift that we could never earn. But we also have a response. And we're told, put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's important. By flesh, um, it's not meaning like your body. It's not saying, you know, kill your body. It's also saying not abuse your body. It's also saying don't like try to project your soul outside of the body. It's talking about the deeds of the flesh, the, the, the sin and shame that you are a slave to before Christ sets you free. See, this is important. In order to be secured in our identity as children of God, we have to constantly reject and put to death the old regime, which is the deeds and the sin of the flesh. You're like, well, why, why can't I have both? Why does God make me give up one thing? Why does God make me, you know, choose to, to give up this? And, it, and, and it's because you cannot be fully sold out to the flesh and be fully sold out to God, right? I can't fully submit my life to the flesh and also fully submit my life to God. Scripture tells us no one can serve two masters. If your identity is falsely secured in sin, it cannot be completely secured in Christ. It would be like building a structure where half of it was on sinking sand and half of it was on the rock and then, one, and then standing there blaming the rock for why the portion in the sand was sinking. We are called to build fully on the rock of God. We can't serve two masters. I can't be falsely secured in lust, but try to be fully secured in the hope and fullness that comes through Christ and in purity. I can't be falsely secured in greed, selfishness, sin, envy, but then want to be fully secured in my identity in Christ. Scripture says, put to death the things and deeds of the flesh. That term there is an ongoing term. It means that constantly we have to put to death our flesh. At Banner Church, we talk about, I said yes. We, every week we say, we want you to say yes to Jesus. But we also know that saying yes to Jesus is one of many yeses to Jesus you're going to say in your life. The first one is a big one, but there are many. You're going to have to say no to the flesh and yes to Jesus every day. You're going to have to say no to greed and pride and selfishness and say yes to Jesus constantly. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I, if I have the, the strength to do that. I, I, I'm kind of a mess. I don't know if you knew this, you know, you're like, you know, pastor, you don't know. I'm sitting in my living room, not even wearing pants. Like I'm a mess right now. You don't know my life. And, and you're, you're true. I don't necessarily know every single person. But what I do know is that we can be secured through Christ because we are all a mess. And your messiness and your past brokenness do not eliminate or destroy your identity as a child of God. See, this life we live in Christ is a journey of sanctification. Sanctification means the process of becoming holy. We seek holiness. We're on the road to holiness. Some of us are in 
are in different parts on the road. Some of you are just beginning. Some of you are still unsure, but you're kind of on the on-ramp. You know, some of you are walking on the road. Some of you have tripped and you've eaten some road currently. But wherever you are, you are on the road. The journey doesn't preclude you from sanctification. The journey is sanctification. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, there's good news because not only does the new life require putting to death our sins daily, but the Holy Spirit has been sent to be indwelt within us as our helper. Hear me again. The Holy Spirit is indwelt within us as our helper. Look back at verse 13. It says, by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Our new life and our new identity is not secured by willpower. We'd, we'd love it to because then that would put it on us. But our new identity is secured by submittal. When we submit to the Holy Spirit, when we come under His authority, He empowers us with the obedience necessary to put to death the flesh. See, the key to freedom from what we once were and who we once were uh, who we once were in, in our past, in our life, it is constant reliance on the Holy Spirit. See, I am thankful for the Holy Spirit because I need supernatural power to help me in my human weakness. Right? I'm, I'm thankful. I need the Holy Spirit to help me obey and walk in that obedience and walk in that truth because when I was left to my own devices, guess what I did? Whatever I wanted right? Every appetite I pursued, everything I went after, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to walk in obedience and therefore the new life. See, what happens is when we break from the Holy Spirit, we break from the truth and the enemy comes back in in the flesh and he begins to whisper into us. He begins to try to take control. He begins to try to whisper lies over our identity, over our life, that you're not good enough, you'll never measure up, that you're nothing, that you have lesser value. But Christ so clearly speaks because there is no condemnation in Christ that there is a new life with an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the more you press into the Holy Spirit, the more you are able to walk in the new life. You don't have to do it by your power you get his power let's read again Romans 8 14 through 15 it's just just to remember it says for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God what you receive is amazing and I want to tell you about that as you sacrifice the flesh and as you receive from the Spirit here's what you get it says for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have received the spirit of adoption as children of God. This is, this is so important to our identity, is that through, through Christ, remember this is all through Christ, we have a spirit of sonship instead of slavery. When I say sonship, I'm talking about our, our rights as heirs of Christ, as sons and daughters. So the term in here is sonship, but, but if you are uh, male or female, wherever you are, it, sonship, I'm covering everybody in this term. We have a spirit of sonship instead of slavery. And this is a really beautiful idea that he's laying out in, in verses 14 and 15, so don't miss it. See, we are called sons of God. That's a biblical title for the people of God. See, and it says, we have received a spirit of fear, or we have received a spirit uh, not of fear, not of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit that cries, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a term that a child would use to call out to their dad. It's a term that Jesus used in the garden to call out to his father. It's a term of 
intimacy, what this means, and, and don't miss this because it's crucial to founding our true identity as we were created to be, is that we have been given an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We have been given through Christ, through His Spirit, an intimate relationship with God. That would have been something that would have blown the minds of the Jewish leaders of the time. They would have never imagined that the almighty, all-powerful God of might and judgment and authority who's going to come and judge the world, who is holding wrath in his hands, who, who has us, they would have never imagined to have an intimate relationship with that God. They're like, he is so great, he is so mighty, how could he have an intimate relationship with us? But what's amazing is the spirit that we have received through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ implants within us the sense of intimacy and abolishes our bondage to sin. And when it abolishes the bondage to sin, it abolishes the reason to fear. How is that so? First John 4, let me explain. It says this, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, intimacy is the opposite of fear. I think of it this way. I, um, my wife and I are adopting this uh, child, and uh, one of the big things for him is to make sure that he feels safe. And so when I put him to bed, naps or, or different things, there's different things we do to make sure that he feels safe. One of them is closeness and eye contact, and we look at him when we hold him, and we speak to him, and we, you know, we encourage him, and you know, we, we say nice things and in his life, and as he's living his thing, we do things to make him feel safe, and we give him hugs and Eskimo kisses where you like rub your nose together. It's, we are not social distance from this kid at all. Um, and we do all these things to make him feel safe, because as you feel safe, you experience true intimacy and this is important under sin we would have been under judgment that's not safe punishment and wrath for our sin it does not feel like a safe place but when jesus covers and takes away our sin takes away our shame covers us with his blood so that judgment passes over us we are now safe and secured in his love there is no punishment there's just love so we have intimacy with God that word sonship is important because the key to your identity and why you were created is that you are a child of God scripture says we've received an adoption as children from God I I feel like in this season I'm, I'm understanding my adoption to God more as I'm trying to adopt this child and understanding their need for security and that journey and, and and how they grow into that but it's important because in the Greco-Roman world when you adopted somebody they got all the rights of a birth heir see you you were born you were born how you were born into sin but through Christ, you've received a new birth and a new life, and now you are an heir with Christ. Look, go back to Romans 8. If you still have your Bible open, go to verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just take a second and think about that. Sometimes we read scripture, we're just so fast. But think about that for a second. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Did you hear that again in your mind? You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. 
no matter how unimportant the world has told you you are based off your, your looks, your, your race, your status, your background, your mistakes, whatever it might be, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I think that's amazing. The Almighty God has chosen you as his own child. No matter what someone puts on you, no matter what someone says about you, you are a child of God. Think about that for a second. People might put you down. People might look over you. People might beat you up. They might speak terribly to you. They might tear down your identity. They might have tried to come against you in your life. We do it every day to ourselves. Maybe your worst enemy in saying things against your own identity is you. When you go to bed, when you wake up, you tear yourself down. You don't see your worth or value. You struggle to feel like you're doing a good job just living life or having purpose in your life. People maybe say you've made too many mistakes. Maybe you feel like you're a mess. Maybe you feel like you're stupid. But no matter what you or the world has said about yourself, you cannot remove this truth. You are a child of God. Wherever you are in your room, turn to your neighbor or your spouse or yell out your window across the street so that people can hear you. Maybe type in the comments and just say to somebody, you are a child of God. I am a child of God. I feel maybe like a, when, I, when I feel like I'm a screw up, when I feel like I'm low down, when I feel like I'm emotionally exhausted, when I feel like I'm missing the mark, when I feel like everything's coming against me, when I lay abed at night wondering when this self-quarantine is going to end and think about all of the things in my life and I wonder my value and all of these things, I come back to the truth because my identity is secured in this one phrase. Tattoo it on your arm, spray paint it on your wall, write it in chalk in your driveway, whatever you need to do, I am a child of God. Why is that important? Because for a child of God, our sonship not only is new life, but our sonship gives us endurance and gives us inheritance. Romans 8, 17, I'm going to go back to that verse. Says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Heir means that we're going to receive an inheritance. It means we're going to receive an eternal inheritance, eternal life and glory with Jesus Christ. See, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive hope and healing that comes from Him. But we also receive an eternal inheritance. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's this weird line in Romans 8. It says, Provided we suffer with Him. We're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, what? I thought this message was all about a hope and healing. I don't like the idea of suffering being in here at all. It's important because when we're joined with Christ, remember we're joining in his resurrection. We're joining with him in the freedom that comes from him. But we're joining with Jesus Christ who the world despises, which basically is a promise that the world is probably going to despise you. Because the world is not submitted to Christ, it's submitted to the flesh. What Paul is saying is here is the, the path to eternal glory and inheritance is strewn with difficulties and danger. But he says, but we will share his glory. You're like, how is that comforting at all? It's comforting because when our identity is secured in Christ, we are not defeated by the insecurity of our situation. 
When our identity is insecure, we're shaken by every storm. When our identity is insecure, we're like a tree with no roots that is just falling over and crushing everything in its path. But when our identity is in our sonship, in our adoption, in our new life, we're able to endure difficulty because our roots are secured in Jesus Christ. His love, His power, His spirit. We know that God is with us. We are secured in who He has said to be. So even when the enemy comes to speak against us, to call us a failure, to come speak lies to us, we're like, no, I am a child of God. See, if you trust in your surroundings for your security, you will always be insecure. But when you build your when you build your identity on Jesus Christ, you will always be secured. God never changes. God never fails. God will never leave us or forsake us. God is the solid rock, the foundation of our life. So the more we secure our identity as a child of God, the more secure we will be in our life. The more secure we'll be as parents, the more we'll secure we'll be in our family, the more secure we'll be in our singleness, in our life, we'll be able to resist temptation, we'll be able to experience deeper love, we'll be able to endure hardship with an eternal perspective. See, insecurity will never do that. The things of this world will never do that. Only security in your God-given identity will do that. You are a child of God. This is our response to what we've received. We can spend all of our life piling things on the table, hoping that the legs would not give out, piling things, piling things, piling things, piling things, and hoping that everything we load up on our life will somehow give us a foundation. But the truth is that it is only through Christ that we are anchored into true identity. See, when we receive Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I submit my life, I give my life to you, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I submit my life to the Spirit of God, and through Him I put to death the deeds of the flesh, then we walk in a new life that is secured. It is not temporary, it is not small, it is not easily shaken. It is an anchor for our souls. And today you have a choice. Will I continue to walk in the insecurity of the world or will I submit my heart? Will I lay it down before the Lord? And will I receive the new life that he has come to bring? And when I receive that new life, will I put to death the things of the flesh that want to keep dragging me back to insecurity? What do you need to lay before the Lord? Some of you, you've never given your life to Jesus. And today, you need to just lay your heart before the Lord. Some of you... You've laid your heart before the Lord, but you have not fully submitted the deeds of your flesh. And you think, well, I made that choice in church a while back, and I did the thing. That's great, but how are you living? Because holiness is important. And so today we have a choice. Do I want to walk in the life I've received by putting to death the things of the flesh by the Spirit? The amazing thing is if you make that choice today, you begin, you say yes to Jesus, you say yes again to Jesus, you begin that road of sanctification. For those accepting for the first time, you receive the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. And for those who now in this moment have received that hope and healing but are struggling, when you submit to the Spirit, you receive the power that comes from Him. God is eager today to bring you good things if you are willing today to submit and receive from Him. Would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to pray two things. The first thing is if you want to raise your hand and say, I choose to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I want to say that first yes to Jesus. I want to pray with you. Wherever you are, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? 
before we worship together, I want to pray over you. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I surrender my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. The second thing this morning, I want to pray for you who are saying, I've said yes to Jesus, but I'm struggling to put to death the things of the flesh, and I, and I live in this constant cycle of insecurity, and today I want to be secure in my identity. I want to pray for you. If that's you, I just want you to bow your head with me. We have prayer teams that want to live prayer with you right now, or you can email, if you're not watching live, email I said yes at banner.church, I said yes at banner.church, but I want to pray for you right now, wherever you are. And I want to just pray over your life. Jesus, I pray right now for every person watching this. God, I pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as they, as they submit their heart and their life, and they make that choice to say, I'm not going to serve two masters. I'm going to fully submit my heart and my life to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to press into his presence. I'm going to pursue him, and I'm going to pray. God, I pray right now that as they do that, as they submit, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would help them put to death constantly the things of the flesh that want to drag us back into death and remove us from life. And God, that every person watching today would begin an even greater journey on the road to sanctification for those who have fallen, those who have tripped, those who have turned and gone back the other way. God, I pray right now would make a choice and just pray wherever you are. Join me in praying. Jesus, we submit our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we come under your authority, and I pray right now you would break every bondage, you would break every chain, you would break every stronghold, and I pray in the name of Jesus for a season of hope and healing over your family, over your life, over your future. Jesus, I pray right now for every person watching that they would receive hope for their future and healing from their past today, and that they would go from this service secured in their identity as a child of God. God, as we worship you in these next few moments. I pray that we wouldn't just click away. I pray that we would press into worship and be even more secured in our identity as children of God. Amen. Church, hear me one more time. You are a child of God. Let's worship together this morning.